Empowering Independence podcast is a conversation about the RIA space, hosted by Austin Philbin, with friends and guests that include individuals spanning the entire spectrum of wealth management. A high-energy, insightful creation, this show aims to demystify many of the myths of financial services and provide insights, fresh ideas, and a true look into what it takes to be a successful wealth management entrepreneur. Austin will ask the questions that need to be answered by any firm looking to drive scale, efficiency, and enterprise value. Hello, and welcome to the Powering Independence Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Philbin. This episode, Into the Great Wide Open, perspectives of the advisor and the transition process from the front lines, I will be joined by three very special guests. First, Chuck Cooper, co-founder and managing partner of Strongbox Wealth in Lee's Summit, Missouri. And my two colleagues, Jason Pinkham, one of the OGs of Dynasty, co-founder, managing director, and Caitlin Douglas, vice president, part of the transition services team. Welcome, everybody. Really excited to, uh, to have our first podcast with three guests all at the same time. So this should be fun. Let me start the questions with you, Chuck. How long have you been thinking about independence and what initially for you uh, were your concerns? Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and why you started Strongbox Wealth. Well, uh, thanks for hosting today. Um, three years, I'd say, uh, give or take, uh, we've been considering independence. Um, and I'd say that our, you know, our biggest concerns, my biggest concerns in particular, were both choosing change by picking up and moving a perfectly secure livelihood, uh, but equally forcing change upon our clients. So um, personally, I knew this would affect my family. I have three kids, two in high school um, this year. Uh, My oldest is going off to college. Uh, I knew there'd be an incredible workload competing for this important family time, So, uh, especially uh, with this being his last. And so we, we weighed not being able to reclaim that time uh, also weighed the opportunity costs for, for waiting and what our clients uh, would be missing out on as, as we knew what we could uh, bring to fruition with the new firm. Uh, but when doing so, I, I realized that the, the same timing issue uh, by waiting, uh, and again, personally, was not going to improve uh, because uh, after my oldest goes off to school, then my, my next one is up. So as with most major endeavors of upheaval in our personal lives, I just really determined that there was no uh, ideal time uh, but the present. So <clears throat> we, pit, we pushed through with the pre-launch planning uh, and transition and, and have now settled in, thankfully, into what uh, – Caitlin calls the new paradigm as our as our own RIA. Hey, um, Chuck, this is Jason. I'm just curious how. I mean, everyone kind of has a different spectrum of factors that that lead right to the ultimate decision. And I think you know there's a, there's a lot of buzz, in particular, about the independent space and, and people considering moving into that space. How much, from your perspective, right? Obviously, there's the, there's your side in terms of what fits you and your practice and your employees, right, and your culture. Uh, of your factors and, and your family of why you would want to do that, how much was of your decision uh, was that 
versus how much may have you heard from you know clients that maybe we're, we're searching for also maybe a little bit different model or relationship that you know you being at Wells Fargo perhaps didn't you know didn't uh, you know lead to that type of relationship well I, I'd say both maybe equally uh, I, I'm a longtime CFP my partner John Garlow he's a, a certified private wealth advisor and we just simply felt our skill set wasn't being fully conveyed um, in that uh, national bank uh, employer setting. Um, plus, we were very eager to simplify our advice model and be more straightforward in our pricing, um, but yet still elevate the customization level of the client planning experience. So the bottom line is, you know, our heart was telling us there was just a better way for our clients, and there was no other choice but to really honor their faith and trust uh, in us by, by forming our own um, RIA and Strongbox. So, you know, back to the original question, too, I, I wasn't too concerned about client attrition because uh, I felt we outgrew where we were. Uh, there are a number of high net worth client situations where we, we couldn't have a seat at the table um, due to a lack of organizational capacity to address the needs. So, Notwithstanding the fact that we already had client relationships, we, we were just missing out on, on some opportunities. And, and so, in other words, it, it was costing us and our clients to do nothing as it interrelates with staying put versus launching the IRA, the RIA, uh, by not having the, the resources we have available uh, to us now. Uh, a number of them, which I'm sure we'll talk about in you know, technology and reporting and data aggregation and portfolio management platform itself and just more sophisticated planning tools. I want to come back to something that, that you said in your earlier comments around timing and the fact that with anything in life that's a major decision, there isn't a perfect time to do something uh, that's that's pretty significant. So what I'm excited about today's conversation, the more that we get into it, is is this is what's on a lot of people's minds, particularly in the financial services space. Advisors at traditional financial institutions thinking about um, other ways of doing business, and you outlined a few of the reasons why one might. But how did you psychologically get over that issue around timing and whether or not it was the best for you, your family, and and your clients? Well, a great question. You know, I, I happen to liken the decision to going independent, truly independent. Uh, there's a Tom Petty song. Uh, uh, actually, his third album, I want to say, it was uh, his Refugee, Don't Do Me Like That, one of his best. And the name of the album, do you know which name of the album is? You happen to know? I do it's not. Called, Huge Tom Petty called, fan, but not, not familiar <laughs> with the, the name of the album. Well, all right. Called "Damn the Torpedoes." Okay, okay, like that. And the and the saying really originated by a Civil War Union naval admiral at the Battle of Mobile when he pretty much had the South Navy pinned. Uh, but back then, mines uh, in the water were referred to as torpedoes. So, but for fear of all of the many mines in the, in the water, the the whole Union's flotilla waited to forge ahead. Uh, go on land, claim victory, you know, they clearly had the upper hand until the admiral proclaimed, damn the, por the torpedoes, full, full steam ahead. And, and as it turned out, you know, that, that moment of risk, of, 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 of unknown, 
of uh, unforeseen outcome. It turned out many of the, the risks there in the water, they were waterlogged. Most of the 14 ships they had made it to shore unscathed. And in essence, the, the admiral's leap of faith and confidence in, in his Navy's ability uh, to seize the day kind of proved to be decisive action, and, it, and, and uh, frankly, it was irreversibly changed the circumstances of the war for, uh, for the betterment of, 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 of the Union. But, but to the point and why that interrelates with what we're talking about, I mean, to me, you know, everything represents risk. I mean, we're in the business of managing risk. And we do it every day. Uh, so there, there just came a time where, for us, we felt that the risk became, uh, from from a balance standpoint, uh, it became necessary uh, to forge ahead into uh, into the unknown, and and notwithstanding the the the, the, the unknown risks that that were ahead of us. Love it. Love it. Yeah, we, we totally appreciate damming the torpedoes. Uh, alongside of that, what we want to do um, is also help to chart the best possible course with all available information that we have. And that's one of the things that Caitlin does a phenomenal job as part of our transition team. So, Caitlin, what I'd like you to do is maybe talk a little bit about your work with Chuck and just advisors overall, and how do you take what could be seen as a very daunting process and break it down into bite-sized pieces that gives everyone the ultimately uh, highest percentage of success that we could have in, in moving a business? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that one of the very first things that um, I do on the transition process is first and foremost, um, you know, get to know as well as possible the team I'm working with. So Chuck, John, and Kathy, um, that was, you know, first and foremost, my, um, my priority just to understand who they are from a personal level. And, you know, I think that Chuck, John, and Kathy would agree that we all have pretty strong relationships, which really set us up well from the very beginning um, to make sure that we set forth a process that um, all of us were on the same page and we weren't going to deviate from that path. And the way that we set up that process is through our proprietary uh, project management system. And we were able to make sure that we went through and we added, you know, tasks that were germane to the Strongbox Wealth launch. And we made sure that we addressed each of those items in um, in prioritizing in the manner that we knew that um, things had to be handled. So while it may be daunting at first, and I'm sure that it was for Chuck and his team, um, one of the things that I really do is make sure that they understand that not only myself as the project and transition lead, but also Dynasty behind us, 60 people deep, are there to help him and Chuck, and, or, or sorry, him, John and Kathy through the entire transition process, knowing that we have done this 50 plus times and can pretty much say that we've seen um, seen it all. Obviously, there's going to be some things that are thrown at us that might blindside us, but we um, handle that uh, the best that we can with the knowledge that we have within Dynasty. And I think that um, between those things and specifically the project management system, we were able to really stay on track and see the roadmap in front of us to um, get to that light at the end of the tunnel. 
So, Chuck, you sit down. Day one, if you can remember back, you got this massive project plan covering things from marketing to real estate to legal, all across the spectrum. And within each one of those categories, there are multiple subcategories. And, and Caitlin's rolling it out to you, and you're, you're sitting there, and what are you thinking? What, what, what's the feeling that's going through your body and, and what, what are the thoughts that are going through your head when you're like, wow, maybe that's a lot of stuff to do? Well, it is pretty mind-numbing. And uh, to use Caitlin's term, yes, very daunting as well. Um, I think when the steps were initially presented, it was something like 120 boxes to check. And as you said, each with its own unique circumstance and de- decision tree and, and, um, but, you know, I, I'd committed mentally, uh, to, to make the move. And for, and for me at that time, it, I just figured it was work, uh, a different kind of work that I had not yet become accustomed to. So in a sense, that was part of the adventure. I found it pretty exhilarating, actually, you know, when you're going through the marketing aspect of what your brand can be, what it can uh, what ultimately your message is that you have free license to share and to uh, roll out to your clients. Um, they had become accustomed to who we are, the manner in which we speak, the, the way we deliver advice, and now to align our brand around that and to really add uh, color to it uh, was pretty exciting. Um, you know, the, the unnerving part um, had less to do, kind of one for structure, so I actually liked that structure. The unnerving part was really analyzing some of the varied outcomes associated with the unknown risk, and that's just uh, runs alongside with the whole aspects of transition in, in, in itself. Uh, you know, what happens if the market's going to tank during transition? Uh, maybe the grass is not really greener, even though you know, we've, we've, we've gone through all this due diligence for a long period of time, um, you know, deploying personal financial means and investing personal capital and, and, the, and the return on that. So, you know, those were some of, uh, some of the unnerving parts. But, but to Caitlin's point, uh, the, the process uh, that uh, the dynasty put forth for us to follow, I thought, was uh, spot on. Great. And Jason, you've been doing this since the beginning, that you were the, the first person at Dynasty to transition advisors from traditional financial institutions into the independent space. So a lot of things have changed over the past 10 years. In your mind, can you give us one or two things in terms of the shift within the independent space, um, whether, re- whether it's related to transition or not, that you've seen over the past decade? Sure. Uh, I think the number one thing uh, that we have found and, and I have found personally, and, and one thing that drew me to it, and I think draws a number of us in terms of like it kind of accelerates our passion uh, for things, is how involved people like Chuck and even beyond Chuck, their families are involved. This is, not, this is a decision that impacts the entire family, and in a lot of cases, multiple families. Uh, because of what Chuck's talking about, there is an unknown element to this. Uh, there is risk to this. Uh, you know, you have to make some decisions, uh, assuming things are going to happen uh, the right way to validate that decision, uh, to make sure your family is taken care of economically, um, 
And so I think protecting that and taking that responsibility on firsthand uh, is something that drives us forward. And I think it attracts people, you know, like you, Austin, Caitlin, others that we have at Dynasty to, to really take that responsibility head on. Uh, and to build upon what we've started, you know, 10 years ago when we founded Dynasty and went through the very same process that people like Chuck are going through now and trying to make sure that that he gets the advantage of those 10 years and all the things that occurred over those 10 years. I mean, we're not any different than any other business that was started where we've made mistakes. I've seen firms make mistakes. Uh, so our job is... Uh, there's so many things going on during a transition process. There's so many decisions that need to get made. There's so many variables. There's so much education that goes into it uh, that there's a certain level of faith that you have to have. Uh, so I think you know what we do a very good job of is kind of putting our arms around all the variables, uh, taking our advisors through an educational process, in some cases having them speak to their peers who, who have recently gone through a similar process, and getting to the core of some of those decisions and making some of those decisions, frankly, for them, and then just giving them the data that says this is why we would suggest this decision. It is tested. But what we're also good, I think, is pivoting from that because everybody's you know, situation is a little bit different. Their clients are a little bit different. Their families are a little bit different. So even though we bring a well-tested uh, process uh, or decision tree into the fold, we're always willing to discuss something that may vary a little bit. Uh, and we will do the legwork and groundwork uh, because people like Chuck and others are still focused on running a business every day during normal business hours. Uh, so, so we have to make sure we're doing the legwork and we're making it easy uh, to get people like Chuck in, to spend as little time as possible but still be able to make good decisions uh, and to get the business in, in a good place down the road. So I think you know, the biggest thing that I've seen uh, and we've been also, uh, Dynasty has been, you know, very, very fortunate to attract people like Caitlin or Tara or Katie or, or uh, you know, people that have been on our transition team, really the front lines, people that are out in the communities with our advisors, literally building these these practices. Um, you know, they've taken that kind of full steam ahead. They've built on what we've created over the 10 years of experience, you know, 50 new breaks, another 25 to 30 uh, smaller advisors that have joined existing firms to, to do those types of transitions. They've really taken all those experiences, compartmentalized it, worked with our department, Chuck mentioned marketing, investments, operations, whatever the case may be, and we're bringing that data back constantly and refining that process. And so I think uh, what I've seen over the last 10 years is how efficient it is uh, and, and how much data we have now to, to provide for advisors in a very concise way that allows them to benefit from mistakes that others have made. That's, I think, one of the biggest points of, of using someone like Dynasty is the efficiency and the level of comfort that you have when you're able to make decisions with so many unknowns that, that are out there. Cool. Chuck, one of the things that I appreciated yesterday when we were kind of prepping for this conversation <clears throat> was just around some interesting things that happened during transition, maybe unexpected. And for some of the people listening to this, particularly around the topic of transition, there's just a ton of unknowns, a ton of, I think, myths about what happens when you move from a traditional financial institution. So I thought maybe you could spend a minute about the types of relationships, and this is a myopic point, but the types, whether they would be transactional 
or thought of as brokerage type relationships to what you're doing today, which is an advisory fee only relationship. And how easy was that messaging for the clients that had uh, for a long period of time had those transactional relationships? Well, to your to your first part of your question about kind of a surprise, um, I think that uh, the the paperwork was well beyond our expectations. I mean, you know, we have 300 households to transition, and they're averaging about two and a half accounts per household. But you know, we we heard client words like you know, prolific, and, and I've got a lot of homework to do. You know, so that was. You know, that was an unexpected surprise, you know, because, you know, we're so used to moving assets between firms, and it's really not that that big of a deal. It's just administrative work. But, but when you when you uh, condense that whole process into imminent now and as fast as possible, uh, it becomes a, 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 a pretty uh, substantial amount of work. But, uh, but to the second part of your question, we were really well equipped on site, and I will credit our custodian for for that. Their on-site assistants, as well as uh, Dynasty's on-site assistant, uh, that cleared the lanes for us to speak with our our uh, clients. The protocol moved, so uh, you know we were able to contact people. Uh, you know, once uh, once we were settled in and and begin those phone calls and explanations of, uh, of what had just happened. And, uh, you know, there, that, that was the point at which you realize that you let go. Uh, you let go of what was, and there's your livelihood over there, and now you got to go get it. And uh, all of our volume of resources that were here uh, were just fantastic. And, you know, we worked night and day, and we worked the weekends, as, as you would expect, and all hands were on deck. You know, my hope was that we had, would bring over 80 to 90 percent of our AUM, transition that over uh, to our, uh, to our uh, custodian over the, over the course of a year. Um, I thought it would take that long because, as you mentioned, we did have uh, some transaction-based uh, relationships, uh, some BD type uh, relationships, if you will, um, maybe about a third of our, of our book of business. So not only was this change for them, but in the, in the fiduciary world of, of fee transparency and, and, and alternative pricing and, and why that has merit and, and why over time that's a, a creative to, to better financial uh, results, uh, that was a second part of the conversation to, oh, by the way, we've left. So, you know, that that really was um, uh, part of the, the, the conversation. And our excitement, our conviction in what we had just done and why uh, it was uh, better for our clients, um, I think, resonated in, in our discussions and, and, and in the clients' reactions. So back to the numbers, uh, we hit 90% on platform in 10 weeks in the door at the custodian. Uh, of that, about uh, just, uh, just a, a portion state brokers, typically the, the insurance and the 529 aspects of the relationships. But I wholly attribute that conversion rate to just a, a solid execution of the properly designed plan 
um, again, knowing in our heart that we had a better alternative for our clients. So our capacity to uh, talk with the clients, deliver the news, explain the merit, turn around the transfer paperwork uh, was, uh, was matched by, uh, by Dynasty's ability to, to bird dog everything outside of the, custo- uh, the custodian's purview. So in other words, you know, for all the things that, that came up, the stuff, just things that, that happened to pop up, uh, Kaylin and her team were on site to uh, to uh, clear the lane so that we could stay on task. So we're pretty excited about the outcome. You know, here we are uh, talking about six months from from launch, and uh, as as we speak today, we're uh, in terms of total AUM uh, beyond where we were uh, when we left. That's incredible. So less than a year for anyone that's listening. Less than a year above uh, in terms of AUM assets under management from where they began. And at 10 weeks, uh, so if my math's right, two months and two weeks, you're at uh, 90% of uh, assets transition. That, those are phenomenal results. And so I'll ask Caitlin a question. <clears throat> you, you've witnessed Chuck and, and the phenomenal success that they've had at, at Strongbox in terms of transitioning assets. And Chuck just referenced following a, a plan, executing, going after and getting those assets, and then speaking with conviction that the choice that you made was better for the end clients. I'm a huge believer in psychology, not only with Chuck, but some of the other work that you've done within transition. What are some of the psychological traits or just positive qualities of advisors that that move through the transition process well and what are some of the things that hold people back as they're going through the transition process from a psychological perspective? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think that the number one trait is uh, trust and what it comes down to with most transitions. And, you know, I thought it was very prevalent in the strong box transition is Chuck trusted me fully that if I said that I had something that I was going to get, get it taken care of and I was going to get it taken care of quickly and I was going to get him the right answers so that to his point, he could keep on track and we could clear the lanes and he could do what his number one job was to do to call clients and get the assets over. So it really comes down in my mind to the, um, the, the top people in the firms, but it goes all the way to, you know, all individuals in the firm trusting that, you know, myself and the rest of Dynasty are their partners in this transition and will be going forward. And, um, you know, we got it, you know, we'll take care of it for you. I think that when things um, maybe don't go as well during a transition process is when that trust is not there, or if there's a constant, you know, questions are a good thing, obviously. You know, you want to ask questions on, like, why Why are you suggesting this platform or this technology? And we'll give our reasoning on why we have gone, we as Dynasty has gone and done the due diligence and come to you with the two best options for you or even the one best option and say, you know what, we know your firm, firm inside and out. We're going to suggest this platform and this is why. Let's move on to the next item. But where that kind of falls apart is when, the um, the firm or the principals will go out on their own, possibly, and which there's nothing wrong with this, but go out on their own and then start doing their own research 
um, on different uh, different platforms, different technology, you know, what have you, and then come back to us and kind of derail the process a little bit when Dynasty has already done that for them. We've already vetted out, you know, who is going to be the best in the industry for them in um, particular cases. So, uh, you know, long-winded way to say trust is what it really comes down to, but not only trust in the individuals that they're going to do what they say they're going to do, but also trust in Dynasty as a whole that we are bringing to them the, uh, the best-in-class solutions. Totally agree. And I, I think two items that you, that you mentioned or could be uh, pulled from what you, you just talked about, trust, and we'll get back to that in a second, but also prioritization, which is in in making a move of of this significance or making a decision that includes so many different variables, you really do have to prioritize the things that you're going to focus on, especially in the first six months of your business. And, and I'm, I'm sure that Chuck focused on moving the assets, so getting out, talking to clients, making sure they understood what was different, uh, being able to create a structure in which he could be compensated so the, for those assets, so being able to bill on those assets, and then finally being able to report on those assets. Those are three things that are incredibly important within the first six months to a year of a relationship. Quick sidebar, one of, uh, one of a story that Jason and I witnessed once during a transition of what was not a prioritization was uh, the day of a break, we were in the building waiting for the team to come back, and we looked down in the parking lot, and the team was uh, having conversations and seemed to be shuffling boxes around, and that took about 20 minutes. And by the time they get up to the actual office, we asked them what they were doing, they were deciding which artwork would go into which office, to which Jason <laughs> and I thought was a terrible idea to prioritize artwork on day one of the launch of your new firm. So coming back to you, Chuck, trust, obviously, being able – trust is a, is a really important uh, um, factor within your your new business because now you are a true entrepreneur. And I, I think it would be helpful, you know, talk to – Talk to all of us and, and, and explain the differences of what it means to be an entrepreneur or an advisor within a traditional financial institution versus an entrepreneur, somebody that is running a business, creating a brand, making tons of decision across the spectrum from compliance to HR um, to creating a culture for your company. What, what are the big differences that you see as a wealth management entrepreneur? Well, it's a new set of challenges, but they're my challenges. I get to own them, and I get to resolve them for, for our clients and uh, to better the firm. Um, where we were, uh, many of our prior challenges had to do with um, you know, what I would consider sometimes superfluous policy and procedure and administrative tasks and, and certain things that I don't think were necessarily at the heart of constantly striving to do better for our clients with your available time in the day. So to that point of time, you know, we, we, and it, we've all heard it and we all know it, that it's our most precious asset. So uh, to me, I would say that's been the biggest uh, difference is uh, finding the right way to deploy our time in a meaningful, productive manner that addresses some of the things like you talked about where, you know, feasibly you can only do it after you launch. And when you're talking about implementing 
reporting and your technology stack and learning CRM and and just uh, l learning learning the, the different way of doing business. But um, so to me, that, that's just it, it's just a different set of challenges. I, it's not that it's better or worse, but to your point of being an entrepreneur, uh, thankfully. Locally, uh, I've long been part of an entrepreneurial resource group in our hometown, and, and ironically enough, you know, there I was as you know an employee of a, of a shareholder-owned bank, but finding inspiration and, and bearing witness to the success of these entrepreneurs and 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 the dynamic nature of of what they do in in all different fields. Um, and then, you know, I kind of pan into our book and say, well, we have so many business owners as clients, and and uh, of course, professionals, but you know the business owners in particular, uh, they they're just cut from a cloth um, that that is like this common theme where they appreciate and understand risk. They appreciate uh, uh, trusted advice. Um, they lean on that because they know that their strong suit is otherwise deployed doing what they do best, whether that's building widgets or or whatever it may be in their chosen profession. So um, you know, I just felt that. For us, uh, that it, it we'd, we'd gotten to a point where we were, and, and bear with me on this, but we were we we were focused on the noun. I just read a recent article that that really resonated with me, and it was talking about the need to do the verb, and and it reminded me of of a, of a Bob Dunwoody productivity meeting, and a lot of listeners will, will know him from from. Uh, uh, from the 90s and did a lot of great uh, productivity uh, workshops. He always focused on this uh, B plus do equals have. And um, and that really, uh, I, I thought about that a lot. And, and, and I think that many of us today now, we get caught up in aspiring to be this noun, right? We're a holistic wealth advisor, such as our industry vernacular is calling financial advisors today. But we're not really doing the verb to truly be a wealth advisor, you must have the resources, and you must have the capacity to deliver them. And equally, but beyond that, you have to have the the competency in rendering advice about risk and tax effect and income sequencing and multi generational wealth transfer, and 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 to be able to deliver that with proper integration into the the relationships and and the portfolios that we manage. So. You know, specific to the private wealth space, just calling ourselves the noun, we're a financial advisor, we're a, we're a PM, or we're a holistic wealth, whatever, means little unless you're doing the verb. You're amplifying to your best ability uh, through, through, through meaningful action, delivering advice that's in your client's best interest. And so why that is relevant to your, to your question is, I just felt the only way we could do that is as a truly independent RIA where, uh, where our advice delivery model was what uh, meets with our strong suits. I love it. I, I mean, I absolutely love it. Jason has a question before he asked that. I mean, I can feel your passion, Chuck. And I 100% and I, I agree with you. There are so many people in our industry that are professing to be financial planners or family offices or any pick the buzzword and then you ask them what it is that they do the verb um, to use uh, your example 
and there is no verb. It's just a noun, holistic. These words, they don't mean anything unless you're actually doing the work. And the thing that makes it challenging is the work is actually hard. I mean, that can be extended to anything in life, but particularly in our industry, there's just all this stuff that doesn't actually happen when you peel back the layer of the onion. And that's okay, right? I mean, I get it. Everyone is has a different path to which they choose to create their client relationships and a different path by which they charge their clients for their services. But ultimately, I mean, I would ask people that are listening, look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself the question, are you able to do the right thing for your client where you're at? And if the answer is a resounding yes, great, then then maybe a change isn't for you. But if the answer is no, or if the answer is I need to utilize some type of product to generate some type of revenue to hit some sort of grid number so that I can take care of my family as well as my clients, that seems to be, to me, not the best place to be able to do the verb of providing your clients the best level of service and experience. So over to you, Jason. Thanks. I got fired up. Come on, let's go. I, I love it. So, so let's let's stick stick with that. So, Chuck, let's just get beyond the torpedoes for a second. We've stormed the beach. Uh, I want to kind of help our listeners, you know, kind of continue to to just understand, uh, you know, some of the steps involved and kind of what they had to prepare for, right? And, and you obviously went in 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 kind of direct line against uh, the firm that you came from. In this case, Wells Fargo. And there's different tactics. Right, that those firms or those advisors, once they assign those accounts out, that we have seen used. Every firm's a little bit different, um, and it's actually evolved. It's interesting. So, like even ten years ago, the independent space was still relatively new. Uh, when you think about the big banks or wirehouses, so advisors that were coming out and starting their own shop and came on our platform, uh, it was difficult for advisors that were assigned those relationships to to try to understand where their advisors were going to come up with kind of counterpoints to convince clients to stay. Uh, that's evolved quite a bit. Now the independent space has really matured. And now we actually see from a number of the big banks that they literally have playbooks on if, if your advisor goes independent and, and they distribute those to advisors to kind of give some talking points, things like it's a it's a startup business, they're never going to make it, uh, you know, look at their ADV, you know, whatever the case may be, there's, there's literally a playbook and we have a handful of those. Um, so I'm curious. Uh, I mean, obviously, you had a tremendous uh, amount of success in your transition. It happened very, very rapidly. At the end of the day, regardless of what tactics are used, it comes down to the relationship. Clearly, you had that. Uh, so there was probably no tactic that was actually going to work. But I'm curious, you know, what attempted tactics you may uh, or your clients may have been exposed to uh, that other people, you know, as they kind of think think about it or prepare for that, what were you hearing from clients? What were they hearing from any kind of advisor uh, back at Wells? Well, I'll say this. You know, I, I, I was there for many years, and, and, Genesis, and, and, and legacy firms that date back to E.G. Edwards, where I started there in 1997. So I have a lot of uh, friends, uh, both both obviously professionally, but but personally as well. Um, I I would say as as far as that particular experience goes, it was it was all it, for for us it was positive. Um, there wasn't any type of um, uh, counter selling to uh, what what we had chosen to do. I think for the most part, um, to the extent that I was privy to it, and really uh, we just had that through feedback loops from the from the clients sure um 
you know, that they were uh, respectful in what we were doing and, and, and eager to help if there was a service matter that needed to be taken care of and, and we're your new advisor. And, um, and to that end, um, it was all um, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was very good. Um, now, you know, of course, then we're transferring assets and we and you kind of run into, especially now that it's tax season, well, we're dealing with two sets of 1099s, and yep. and maybe there's some residual transfer assets, and, and there's a couple of positions that may not transfer. So there's some, uh, so there's a little bit of that that goes back and forth in terms of operational and administrative sure. uh, to keep it clean. Uh, but frankly, uh, my personal experience was, uh, was very positive in that sense. I will say that... Um, that you know the the distribution uh, means uh, that was that was used uh, that that under a certain asset level they were kind of fanned out to some of uh, some of the advisors that are in a different um, different capacity than say other uh, uh, financial advisors that may be in, in branch offices and such that um, you know would integrate clients into their books. So in other words, there's your traditional financial ad- advisor in the in the warehouse um, uh, sense, and then you have kind of a, a fleet of salaried folks. And and for assets under a certain level, the, those um, clients went uh, many places, and, um, and 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 that was a, a distinguishing point that I hadn't really considered um, that that might be the outcome. But it was all fine as far as that goes. Cool. Sure. Well, I mean, so I'll just so that our listeners, other things that we've heard, and that's that's great, Chuck, and that's that's a good good experience. Um, and I think in a lot of cases we we hear similar messages, right? Where you have a lot of colleagues, particularly where you've been at one firm for a long period of time, uh, you've got a good reputation, you've got good relationships. You know, in a lot of cases we hear, you know, advisors that are distributed those accounts do say the right thing and say, "Listen, I'm I'm here to help you." you know, if they do talk to the client, I'm here to help you. I know you have a relationship. We'll facilitate whatever you know, whatever we need. But if you need something here, you know, we're here for you. And I think that's the best case. However, you know, other tactics that we have seen uh, on a one-off, you know, uh, kind of standpoint, depending on the branch and circumstances, you know, you'll hear you will know, we'll rebate your fees for six months, twelve months. Sometimes we've we've even seen firms, the big banks, they'll, they'll take a snapshot of performance and try to kind of use that with a client to to try to. Uh, Talk about how the portfolio wasn't managed, you know, the best that it could be. Um, a lot of times, they really zero in on, uh, and I know this is a big part of the transition process. Loans. That's one of the big areas where a bank to retain a relationship is willing to lose money on the loan. Uh, so, to the extent we see a decent amount of uh, you know, non-purpose, or you know, in some cases margin, whatever the case may be. Uh, we do see the big banks. It's one of the first places, particularly for large clients, uh, they will try to undercut uh, the loans. So we try to spend a lot of time to, to understand, you know, what kind of rates might uh, potential clients or whatnot uh, be looking for. And in a lot of cases, those things go poorly for clients because they're not well received because they're saying, "I've been here for five or ten years. You've been charging me something on the loan. Why now? Uh, all of a sudden, are you offering me this favorable rate? You know, it's too little, too late." 
uh, you know, uh, I'm out of here type of thing. But, you know, those are type, you know, tactics that, that we've heard uh, in different – and usually it's, it's a handful of relationships. It's one advisor that got assigned, you know, some account. Uh, but nine times out of ten, uh, it's, it's an existing relationship that's been, you know, built over a number of years. Um, and, you know, their loyalty is, is with someone like you. And they just want to understand, you know, what you're doing. As soon as they hear the story, you know, then they, they kind of get into the execution process of, you know, just get me the paperwork. You know, I, I've always been your client, not a client of XYZ Bank. Yeah, for sure. And sticking with the theme of Tom Petty, the title of today's podcast is Into the Great uh, Wide Open, which is actually the eighth studio album recorded by Tom Petty. But I appreciated your earlier knowledge about that, Chuck. That was, that was very cool. Uh, Caitlin, there are times, whether it be uh, unique lending situations, tailored loans, et cetera, or precious metals, where <clears throat> we have to attempt to solve for the relative unknown. And um, I don't know if there was anything within uh, Chuck's transition that was uh, unique or if you can think back to a, a transition that you were or you have been working on in the past where there was something that you had seen for the first time. But how, one, how do you handle the unknown? And two, uh, you know, what's your point of view on the ability to replicate most, if not all, things available at traditional financial institutions? Yeah, absolutely. So I think your first, to your first question, um, some of the more obscure things that maybe we have come across. And, you know, to my earlier point, one of the benefits of having Dynasty or of you being powered by Dynasty is that, you know, we've we've gone through 50 plus of these transitions from a breakaway standpoint. And, you know, we have the knowledge behind us. But um, one of the more uh, detailed ones, I guess, is, is that captive account and that captive environment that um, we've come across in some of the prior transitions, not specific to Chuck's, but um, that's a very specific situation that we need to get a lot of expertise in. And we were able to, for those firms that did have um, you know, that, that those captive accounts, we were able to get the appropriate people and resources on the line to make sure that you know, those relationships that were extremely important to the firms um, were able to transition over um, in a timely manner and have, you know, all the I's dotted T's crossed from, uh, from that aspect. So definitely one of the more, um, you know, detailed or obscure situations would be that captive um, environment. And then I think that, you know, in order to replicate things uh, from, you know, from uh, from a wirehouse or, you know, the whether it be uh, IBD or, you know, a place similar to Wells Fargo over into the new paradigm, as Chuck has always heard me say, you know, we again, we give our best practices on, you know, what we see firms, um, what we where we have seen firms be successful. And a lot of those times, I mean, specifically, uh I think with Chuck and I, where we had most of our conversations was around uh, billing, the billing aspect, and specifically taking um, billing on a per account basis over to the environment where you're billing on a household level, and you're really um, billing the client and the household for your uh, advice in totality, not on um, you know what an account does specifically. So by us having those conversations very detailed 
Um, you know, Chuck, you can even jump in here too. Probably, goodness, I mean that those those conversations were in depth for probably the better part of a month or so. Um, we were able to really formulate a very good narrative that um, you know Chuck would and John would be portraying to clients to say, you know, this is why we are you know, switching over to this billing environment on a household basis versus a per account basis. And we're charging for um, our advice in totality for the relationship. So I think, um, you know, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's good. And, and I would go add, if, if I may, you know, the back to the trust component. I mean, at that point in time, when the unknowns rear their head, you know, you lean on your chosen resources, whether it be you know, Dynasty, your custodian, your council, the software vendors, um, your, wherever it may be. Um, I ask a lot of questions, sometimes deliberately uh, the same question asked in different ways. But, you know, frankly, my relationship with, with Caitlin uh, was invaluable in solving for these unknowns. She was on it in a moment's notice uh, with a cadence and a, and a level of professionalism that, frankly, I have rarely seen in my 25 years in, in this business. And keep in mind, too, that this isn't kind of a straight line uh, 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 circumstance. This is 52-card pickup, if, uh, to, to borrow the term. You know, all of a sudden, it is it, the apple cart's on its side, and you've got to uh, write it quickly. Your clients need to know that there is stability and continuity, um, that you are still there, but yet they need to know the, the new you. And, and they're, frankly, from the standpoint of the, the advisor in this whole equation, there's not much time for, to deal with unknowns um, in terms of staying on point when we're talking about asset transition. So, um, so it, they're long days, they're long hours, and, and that's all uh, known up front. Um, but that trust in your resources uh, to deal with those unknowns and be – be okay with letting go of some things that you know you maybe could get to the bottom of yourself, but but understanding, you know, the efficiency of allocating your time is what is most crucial for the first several months, and and um, so it's just been uh, fabulous to have uh, Caitlin on our team throughout this whole process. Wow, that's great to hear. Good job, Caitlin. Way to way to take it down, Chuck. <laughs> Obviously, in transitioning your book in such a short period of time, you've got great client relationships. You talked about earlier uh, the verb versus the noun, so actually practicing financial planning, actually practicing holistic wealth management. You've got a great brand, a great platform. M&A, mergers, bringing advisors on is obviously a huge focus for growth. And I just want to know what is – What's your thought on that? What should an advisor in the area be thinking about? What makes you excited about the future of Strongbox? And what do you say to somebody that is thinking about independence um, that would draw them to maybe joining your firm? Well, I answer that by first saying I'm a huge baseball fan. Go Sox. And, Go Sox. Uh, I hope you like the Red Sox. Uh, well, the Royals, but, if, but uh, all right. I grew well, up in Massachusetts. <laughs> So does Jason. So, uh, so yeah, in, in our small market, we're kind of the little engine that could and proved it in 2015. Yes, but sir. Anyway, uh, I look at it this way. It, w- w- it, it's a long game, and, there, and there's going to be an ebb and flow to that game. 
and I don't see a ninth inning for a long, long time. Uh, I'd say we're somewhere maybe in the uh, bottom half of the of the first inning, in the sense that we've gotten our, our we've gotten our sea legs with where we are. Uh, we can maneuver around our computer systems. We know our we know our stack. We're starting to integrate and find efficiencies of time. We're starting to roll out a client experience that we promised, which is crucial to me. So uh, for all of us here, uh, and, and so we're we're still at that stage of getting settled. But now we're starting to catapult into some new areas where I mentioned earlier in the in, in, in our in our discussion, you know, that we'd been kind of left out of having a seat at the table in some in some uh, client opportunities in the past. And now those are rekindled. So I am uh, wholly focused at the for the for our first six months uh, on on getting us settled. And and now that that's been the case, we're pivoting to heavy, having discussions uh, more to the point of your question, which was uh, about growth. Um, I, I fully believe that growth is an absolute. It is essential. There's no other alternative to it. Uh, we will seek additional uh, partners, and in the right uh, circumstance, they uh, would, could be equity partners, uh, if not an affiliate model, uh, if not additional locations. You know, we have a couple offices here that we built out for, for some local advisors. And so we prepare to be um, very flexible and nimble as we grow, but as with most things in, in building an enterprise, it's going to all be about the people, the culture that we create, and it will be for the right people. It may take a short period of time to, to start uh, the, the inorganic uh, growth component, if you will. Uh, but there have already been uh, a numerous uh, discussions, um, and and as we as we know how to roll out our full story, right? We're coming into this uh, uh, and developing our full understanding of what it's like on the truly independent RIA side. So that's uh, uh, that that's what I would say about the growth component. But the equity component, I do believe in partnerships. Um, we owe it to our clients to provide them continuity. Um, you know, people get hit by buses. Uh, people retire. Um, sometimes younger generations like dealing with uh, a, a, a younger uh, advisor. Uh, sometimes circumstances are different. Whatever it may be, um, we owe it to our clients to provide growth uh, to provide uh, for multiple generations and access to uh, to advice and through different means and modes. And, and, and so that is going to be, I, I think it would be uh, foolish on our part to think that we, uh, just because we've had a good transition to kick off the beginning of the game, back to the baseball comparison, that, you know, we've got a leg up on this thing. No, we have to constantly be, stepping into the box uh, every day, uh, uh, seeking to sharpen the, the, uh, the experience for, uh, for the clients and, and provide a meaningful alternative for uh, a lot of the financial advisors in, in our area, but also in other markets. That's great. That's great. And, you know, throughout this entire conversation, I can just really sense the passion that you have for this. I'm, uh, you know, very excited about your uh, 
your new business and congratulations on all the success that you've had and the next eight or so innings I'm sure will be uh, increasingly successful. So thank you, Chuck, for participating on today's uh, podcast. Thank you to Caitlin. And I'll close with another baseball illusion. It's very surreal for me to sit here in downtown New York City across from Jason when 20-plus years ago uh, we were in the outfield at Bates College in Lewiston, Maine, catching fly balls together. It is a testament uh, that sometimes you find good people that you're able to work with professionally and personally, and uh, that's the whole element of family. That's the whole element of continuity And I just appreciate everyone for taking the time today to be on the podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening to today's episode. And a special thanks to my guests, Caitlin, Chuck, and Jason. I hope everyone enjoyed the episode. And to all you listeners, please stay tuned as we will be sending out another podcast in the near future. 